five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Eugene Kim. Yay. Hi, Eugene. This is a, uh, this is a repeat appearance. So <laughs> Eugene's, Eugene's gone through the drill before. Also, side note, for those of you watching through video, check out the new webcam. <laughs> yeah. Upgraded, the budget got a little higher. Yeah. Yeah. I was also uh, commenting that lamp <laughs> behind your head is beautiful. Uh, shout out to Jessica who lended me the lamp. <laughs> yeah, shout <out> <laughs> yeah. Shout out Jessica for letting me stay at her place. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, it's a house with four people. So it's not, it's just everyone. But, anyways, yeah. anyways, uh, what's up? Today is Wednesday, December 15th. Um, Mm-hmm. I think Hugh and I skipped an episode last week. Um, Eugene's been Eugene's been in New York City for the past few days. He's he's heading out tomorrow. Um, yeah. What's yeah. up, Eugene? Um, first off, it's great to be back here for a second time. Um, get to see Hugh once more again. Yeah. Um, I know the last time we spoke was probably a couple months back. Um, and a lot has been changing. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Like um, in the in 2020, like I feel like cryptocurrency like started really having its use cases. And now um, we're really starting to see the fruits of not only like the uh, beginning of what was decentralized finance we're also getting to see a glimpse into the future of what that's going to happen and i know like the biggest impetus is for that is probably the announcement of meta i know that's not completely connected to cryptocurrency but it just like to see that this big um, tech company is pretty much saying like we're gonna evolve ourselves to the future um really just set off like really just shows that there's going to be a lot of use cases for what um, the future is going to look like and i think a lot of the future is going to involve cryptocurrency so yeah thanks for thanks for having me for a second time um a lot has changed in the the ecosystem i don't know if you guys um, want to talk about anything in particular or let's get into it what are you what are you into? What are you excited about? Uh, Tell us about the latest shit coins. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting now because it's it's not like when I first started in 2017, because of John, he introduced it to me. Um, I started really heavily looking to it. It was like shit coins, right? Because you had a choice of like a couple hundred that people knew about um, that didn't really have use cases but potential use cases for these in, uh, instances um, but now fast forward to the uh, bear crash 2018 2019 people are actually like developing things in cryptocurrency and you move to 2020 and now there's thousands of cryptocurrencies with semi-legitimate to legitimate use cases and so like it's I think for this podcast, it's a lot easier to talk about like groups and segments of certain types of cryptocurrencies 
because now we're getting to see like different communities and cryptocurrencies. In 2017, we didn't have that. We just had all shit coins, um, which is a euphemism for alternative cryptocurrencies. Um, but now you have legitimate like groups, Telegram groups, Twitter groups that don't even interact with each other that are cryptocurrency based because it's gotten so big. Um, let me just list off some of the biggest ones. Like you have decentralized finance. I think that really kicked it off. Um, NFTs, I know that's a, what a lot of people are looking at. I think that's what a lot of people are, are thinking of like the, the lottery ticket, ticket of um, cryptocurrency. They see NFTs as the lottery of uh, cryptocurrency and I don't really disagree with them. And then we have like that metaverse gaming application that's a really new, um, interesting time. And then we have something called like DeFi 2.0, um, which I don't really necessarily agree with, but that's like this new type of staking um, where you um, get insane yields like you did in DeFi 1.0 with like specific changes. And then um, fifth, there's, there's like, and then inside of that, there's like all, like little layers of cryptocurrencies, one of them being like Launchpad token tokenomics, where um, if you hold a certain number of coins, it allows you to buy into like specific types of cryptocurrencies, like gaming cryptocurrencies, um, or just um, just a bunch of general types of cryptocurrencies. So you really see these like waves, this really big emergence of all these different cryptocurrency groups artists for the first time are able to like really monetize their artwork which is very exciting because i feel like artists that have amazing like artistic abilities right um they didn't get their chance to shine and now they finally get to right um but that also being said there's also like 12 year olds that are selling their artwork which i'm sure isn't really great um but that's that's to come with the the new space all right, Hugh, which of the seven categories <laughs> yeah. that, that Eugene just mentioned are you interested in yeah. diving deeper into? Well, first one, I'd love to hear more about your ideas or thoughts on artists. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's look at it from the perspective of my sister. She's a painter and mm -hmm. someone who doesn't know about tech. What would you tell her about anything you just talked about? That would be helpful for her. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would say build up a social media presence. Everything runs right now in the NFT space on social media. It, it like if it's almost like second to like learning how to like publish an NFT because I think there I haven't looked into this, but I think there's a lot of NFT programs that make it a lot easier to release. But um, you really have to understand how to gain people's interests. And that starts from just following a bunch of NFT groups, um, developing um, insider um, knowledge, and it's it's more of a it's more of a numbers game than a talents game. I would say at this point, um, it of course helps to be talented. Like a lot of successful NFTs have happened because um, of talented artists, but like the most successful NFTs at this. Uh, moment aren't really art based like you've heard of um, board eight yacht club 
um, crypto punks, crypto punks. Yeah. Um, and they had like um, an impetus beyond just being an art piece, right? Crypto punks was the first to really do it. Or the yacht club um, just recently had a yacht, literal yacht party where they uh, invited everyone. There's other cryptocurrencies um, like cyberconks that have something called bananas where um, you earn these coins that generate yield money. And then there's other cryptocurrency projects where like if you own this um, NFT, you own a part of a voting right to buy more NFT pieces. Um, so um, there are very good, like if you're just an artist that wants to sell like singular pieces, um, there's, uh, I know on Tezos, there's, there's a couple of good platforms. I can't really think of on my top of my head where they do sell like um, little, like just one art pieces instead of like 10,000, which is like what most people know NFTs for. There's like a, a set of 10,000 that people sell. Um, that's, that's, I feel like is more for hardcore artists. Um, Tezos right now, it's a, which is a layer one blockchain. Um, so, but like, yeah, like I mentioned, I'm going off a little off a tangent. She, I would say just build up like a social media presence. And I think Twitter is the best way to do that for um, cool. artists. I'm curious because she does, she uses like oils and drawing like physical paintings, right? <laughs> so as a, a, you know, physical world painter, why and what does an nft even mean to them um yeah so a, a, a lot of these nfts aren't even just like um just physical uh like 2d they're also 3d um i don't know if that really applies to her um if she's she can make 3d nfts but it, it it's do you mean also, by like digital are you talking about digital artwork or yeah, physical yeah, artwork? digital artwork they move, oh, interesting. Some, of the, some of these move um some of these kind of um have like these moving gif aspects to them um which you can't really portray on a on a on a drawing medium um can you get like a unique identifier though from the nft instead of having it be like digital form and then you like pair it to an actual painting and then the painting then gets commissions forevermore from selling that NFT as a one-to-one -one correlation to that asset? Yeah, so um, look, what's great about Tezos is that like you can sell multiple, um, so you can sell the same artwork like 12 times. So there'll be only 12 mm. piece, 12 um, allow, allowments of like the same artwork. So I know I, I um, so you can, it, it doesn't just have to be moving or physical or things like that. There's great photography that are 2D that don't move um, on this Tezos, uh, this uh, artwork website. Um, and so like, you, instead of selling one big piece for like a, an exorbitant amount of money, you could split it into like 75 pieces and, you know, allow 75 people to own a part of the same artwork. Interesting. That's really cool. So it's yeah. kind of like a fractal version of a piece of art that you can create original duplicates of to a maximum set limit and then sell those and take commission on them in perpetuity. Yeah. Yeah, but not perpetuity. Um, actually, you might get a commission if you do sell it or someone does sell that part. I think it, a, a fraction of that profit does go back to the owner. I think there are um 
it it might do that it just cool. depends on the it just depends on the platform yeah and it depends mm-hmm. on how that how that mm-hmm. contract is written but but the i mean the cool thing about nfts is it enables that yeah so it's it's not it's not something that an artist sold when at 20 years old uh and then never benefits from ever again uh like you can you can have it where every time every time something gets sold that that nft pays a per, like a percentage to the original artist and then there's there's also stuff like um in order to incentivize people just holding it there there there's i think it's called like degenerative artwork where it yeah. where the the quality of the nft gets a little bit worse every time that it gets exchanged hmm. and so it i don't know if that's real or if that was an idea that someone had that is something that could be possible mm-hmm. um cool. but, but yeah it's, it's just like unlocks kind of like uh like number one a lot of different ways to be creative mm-hmm. and and then number two a different way to support artists and other creative people um so as someone who does not have any nfts right now and uh but is kind of interested from afar that's that's what that's why i that's that's my that's my answer to like why do i care about them at all mm-hmm. and i and i think it's a really cool way to support creative people and it's a cool way to support projects um and i personally right now in this crazy environment uh do not have like if i were to buy something i would buy it because i wanted to support the artist or the project and not necessarily because i wanted a giant investment because uh, I, I think that's really i think that's really hard to find right now considering like most of these most of these uh assets have like have like 50 x in the last like three or four months yeah so yeah um yeah yeah and it's like it's really cool just this idea of digital property like like bitcoin was the first digital money um and and then ethereum was kind of like hey let's be this platform where you can write smart contracts yeah that was huge and like i think i think like most people didn't understand like really comprehend what that meant including me like like even in 2017 or a few years ago i was like i was like i think this is cool i just have no idea what that landscape is going to look like um and or even if like ethereum will be the big player uh so i personally was not involved with it but it I mean, right now it looks like all of those platforms are winning, um, yeah. and that ETH is just kind of like, like the biggest one. Uh, yeah, and then it's like, yeah, now we have digital property, which is like such a. It's like not something I would have imagined. Like digital real estate is like people are buying and selling it, for you know, it's it's part of the meta universe. Yeah. Sand. Like, yeah, that's a big one um yeah it's like it's such a new and interesting landscape that that in four years there has been so much progress uh like also throw in 
DeFi in there. Like people are actually lending out money and borrowing yeah. and borrowing assets with like no no like central authority. Um so yeah, really it's like pretty amazing how fast that progress happened because none of that or it was it was very small four years ago. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I have no idea. I have no idea where <laughs> what it'll look like in another four years. Yeah. Eugene, but Eugene's here to tell us. I mean, I can't tell you what it's going to look like in four years. Um, I could tell you what it looks like now. Um, but, with the you, can, finance. you can also tell us what you're what you're betting on. Yeah, I could tell you what coins I'm betting on right now. Um, in terms of decentralized finance. Um, and um, John mentioned like uh, Ethereum. Uh, Ethereum is considered one of the altcoins and the first one with smart contracts. There's, it's not just Ethereum, but Ethereum is the biggest one. They're all in the group called layer one. I totally forgot to mention that layer one platforms and they're like completely crushing it right now too, as well. Um, so I'm gonna add that to my group of seven. Um, yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about decentralized finance because I think that is going to have the biggest staying power in cryptocurrency. I think it's what's going to drive the bull market in the uh, in the future um, for the extensive period of time. Um, so decentralized finance happened in Ethereum, and it only happened in Ethereum and not Bitcoin because of what John mentioned, like the smart contract uh, capabilities. Um, Bitcoin currently does not have smart contract fun fu uh, functionalities, but it will because of the Taproot um, upgrade. It finally allows it to have smart contract capabilities. So we'll see. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah cool. um, some projects that are working on it, Portal, um, ICP, um, but we won't see that for a couple of months. Um, so Ethereum smart contract functionalities allow decentralized finance to occur. And what that first looked like was just a bunch of like no-name coins. I know one was like kimchi. Um, and a lot of these were scams. And what they would do is say, hey, if you provide a liquidity pool, which is pretty much tying Ethereum, let's just say, for example, and the kimchi coin together, um, what that allows uh, users to do is that if I want to buy kimchi, um, and, I, um, and someone else holds uh, Ethereum, and kimchi, um, the other person holding Ethereum and kimchi could create a liquidity pool. Um, and then um, that person who wants to buy kimchi can access that liquidity pool and buy, um, buy Ethereum. Or um, if someone has Ethereum, they can buy kimchi. And the per reason why someone would do that is because um, they uh, get a small fee for providing that liquidity. There's, there's a problem with permanent loss though, however, so you gotta be careful. Um, that's a little complicated, maybe a little too complicated for this, but just the, the main reason why someone would do that is because there's a chance that they can make a lot of money. Um, if there's a lot of volume happening, a lot of trading happening. Um, and also on top of that, um, whatever platform it's running on, um, if I'm the owner of Kim, the kimchi platform, I set like a really high APY. Like I'll say like, oh, you could get a million dollar, million percent APY if you um, 
provide liquidity between Ethereum and Kinshi. And obviously, obviously the big risk is well, when you have these huge APYs, they, that also dilutes the share of Kimchi, brings it down heavily all of a sudden and creates a huge crash. So it's literally like trying to get in as fast as possible and take out as much profits as possible before someone does the same on you, right? Dumps on you. And that was like the first like real uh, degenerative gambling set of DeFi. Um, and then you, you got something legitimate like synthetics. Um, I think synthetics was also the first to provide these high yield. But what's so fascinating about synthetics is that they literally just said, all they did was say, okay, you wanna trade Tesla? We found a way to like mimic the price of Tesla um, so that you can hold a synthetic version of the Tesla stock. Um, by, and then the, the way that it works is that you put in, in a little bit more than the price of Tesla um, for collateral, just in case, because of the fluctuation of the price of Tesla. And there's risks involved with that as well that I don't really know too much of, um, but they were able to like create this stock version of Tesla. And other other stocks, you could do that with Apple, like literally anything. Um, not and that is huge because you could do that with pretty much any type of asset um, that's um, publicly traded, um, as long as you have oracles like Chainlink. Um, may, do you guys know what oracles are? Like Chainlink. It's the big connector and API to all these different other microservices that can pull weather data or financial data and then cross-chain it. Yeah, exactly. You need to provide data to the blockchain, right? Because like when prices fluctuate, it's not the blockchain isn't going to automatically know. Someone has to feed the, the, the price data to the blockchain. So like if it raises, if Tesla is at $500 and moves to $700, you need an Oracle to tell the blockchain like, hey, this is now worth $700. Um, so now that you have um, synthetics, um, it, that really, I feel like legitimized what decentralized finance is. Um, because now you're, you're, you can actually mimic aspects of um, finance that you really couldn't before. So I think that was very big. Um, another project called Amperforth uh, has like a rebasing token supply. So what's interesting about this concept is that it's pegged to a dollar and it has like, let's just say a million, a million supply. If it goes, if the price of that token goes beyond the dollar, like a dollar and five cents, it will fluctuate the circulating supply or the fluctuate the maximum supply of that token to like a million and 500,000, let's just say, to bring that price back down to $1. Um, hmm. And the reason why that's so big is uh, because now you get to really expand um, what synthetics did with, um, with leverage trading. Um, so let me explain that. There's a, um, a program called like Gains Farm that I bought in heavily. 
and it's a leverage synthetic leverage trading platform that has um, that manipulates the supply of something called gains, um, which is is token supply. Um, and the reason why that's huge is because um, when you need to pay um, profit earners that make profit on leverage trading. Um, but the idea is that in the long term, um, people that take out leverages are going to lose out. Like you're, you're, you're in the long term, most people aren't going to be able to predict the, the market, right? But in the short term, you still need to pay them out this really high leverage um, amount, wherever um, the platform allows to. Um, gains form allows from five to 100x leverage. And what it will do is it will increase the supply of that token um, and then convert it into a stable coin like DAI um, all in the back end. So you actually pay in a stable coin like DAI, but it will change, it will fluctuate the supply coin so that it can pay out the, the winners um, and then um, deflate the supply when there's losers. So now you have like this huge, like um, new way to really create decentralized finance. Wow. And, yeah, and the last aspect I really wanna point out is like the DAO. Um, DAO was a huge decentralized automated, uh, decentralized autonomous organization because it allows people to make votes uh, decentralized. And I think DAI was the DAI, the stable coin was the first to implement the DAO. I'm not too sure about that, um, but that's also really big. Um, and it creates incentive for people to hold on to a coin like um, Uniswap. Their, Uniswap, it was like the first decentralized exchange that everybody started using. Um, and they did an airdrop for their token, which allows you to, to make place votes on how the exchange is going to be run. Those are cool. Yeah. So you you play you put all these pieces together, and you you're starting to see a sense of what this new generation of decentralized exchange is going to look like. Um, it goes further than that. There's new platforms like Lithium Finance, which will track privately owned assets. So now you you might even see the trading of like SpaceX stocks. Um, that will be a possibility in the future. So it, it not only goes beyond like traditional finance, it will go beyond that into things that we like literally could not have done before <laughs> through the use of the actual yeah. use of cryptocurrency. That's, um, that's really cool yeah. because not everyone has access to a traditional brokerage account. And then a layer beyond that, not everyone has access to, to privately traded company shares. And like traditionally you need yeah. to be a accredited inv investor to, to even be considered for that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I can, I can really see this thesis of, of a democratizing like access to all these all these things i feel like that's part of the bitcoin ethos yeah so it's like pretty cool to see that happen hmm. 
And not only that, like not everyone has access to Tesla stock, right? We just assume that everyone does because we're US based. But imagine if you're from a different country or you can't buy a Tesla stock, you can buy Tesla stock through the use of these decentralized platforms. You, we can buy Samsung stock, for instance, through this synthetic version of the stock. So like the, the use cases are already there right now, um, but we will see like a true, I think a mind blowing implement, implementation of, of this finance, of financial tools we have in the near future, maybe a year or two. All right, Eugene, what are you excited about? Uh, what am I excited about? I am excited about, um, mostly I'm excited about what I just mentioned, um, decentralized finance. Um, I'm also excited about the metaverse and gaming. I think uh, having grown up playing a lot of Team Fortress 2, I literally spent half my time playing the game and then trading like virtual items. But the problem with like Steam is like, you cannot really trade that for a monetary value. And with cryptocurrency, you can um, trade in-game items. So like what, what John was talking about, like um, people are literally selling plots of land in a decentralized uh, virtual um, land for like millions of dollars now that they bought for like maybe a couple hundred or a couple thousand. Um, and you're going to be able to do that with assets as well. Like virtually owned assets, I think are going to be huge. It's not just gaming as well, like digital fashion, right? Being able to try on clothes in like the digital world is going to be huge as well. And one of the companies that are trying to do that is Luxo, who was also the creator of the first ERC-20 token. Um, and ERC-20 token is just a, a token that's not Ethereum, but based off the Ethereum blockchain. So he was the creator of that. And he saw this grand vision of what like digital assets can look like. Um, and one of them particularly being closed. So I think that's really cool. Um, and, and not only that, like um, Ethereum brought smart contracts, but uh, a huge problem um, is that we're not, the internet is like centralized owned, right? You only have like four companies that pretty much run a monopoly. Um, you have Amazon Web Services, Google, um, what else, Facebook. Do you, mean, do you mean with respect to servers? Yeah, mean, the internet, the actual yeah. internet, right? Web hosting. Uh, Azure for Microsoft. Yeah, yeah, Azure for, exactly, thank you. Um, and what happens is like things like Uniswap is pressured by Amazon Web Services to like delist coins. We saw this happen with Parler, right? Where freedom of speech was, um, was attacked, whether or not you believe in it, um, it was taken down quite simply because Amazon Web Services didn't like its mantra. And then no one, I don't think anyone else wanted to support it, Google, Facebook or whatnot. And in the future, that's going to be a lot harder to do because now we have these decentralized web hosting applications, Flux, for instance, um, ICP, although it does more than just that, uh, a cash network, 
those are just the three um, examples where um, there's going to be a more more anonymity. Um, maybe you don't want complete anonymity, but there will be a lot more anonymity where you just don't have these big conglomerates telling you what you can and can't do on the internet. I have a question there regarding yeah. blockchain anonymity mm -hmm. and just people being able to transact and purchase and exchange valuable goods and or digital goods um, anonymously. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? Um, I think, yeah, so like, I like the idea of people being able to do that. I also like the idea of people paying their fair share of taxes. Um, so I, I like the idea that there are a lot of ways you can do that. So it, like Monero is a privacy-based um, cryptocurrency. And now like you don't even need to necessarily use Monero. You can just use a program that allows you to hide your transactions. There's a whole bunch now. Um, anonymity is important, not only for the government, but from other people as well, because they can track what you're doing and kind of set you up to be attacked, right? Like if you, they see you're buying certain NFTs or certain cryptocurrencies, they can uh, create a bot that follows what trading patterns you do and manipulate, um, do some high-tech manipulations on you. So, I mean, anonymity is very important, bottom line. The question I have to that, right? From one per perspective, yeah. I'm curious what the thoughts are on, you know, the basic stuff of mm, drug trafficking, cartel, mm. you know, people being able to transfer and wash money clean instantly without any, and just buying and selling an NFT write-offs and stuff. So how does this, what do you think about that? So, I mean, if you have enough money, you can already do that, right? Uh, NFTs are just a digitalized form of artwork. If you really want to, you can buy an artwork piece, hide it, um, and then wash your money that way. Right. It's it, like people think that people want to make cryptocurrency the big boogeyman that it's not. Um, people, uh, it's, it's, I don't think it's going to make it as easy, easy as people think because ultimately you still need to take that money out. So you can, I can be fancy. I can make all these trades. I could hide it. Right. The government's not going to know how I made my money. But the problem is, is when I receive my money, I still need to go to a centralized exchange that keeps records and tabs of everything I did on that exchange. Um, and so when I change it to fiat, the government's going to know, right? And I, I love that too, because it protects people as well. And people think that, oh, centralized exchanges are bad because they keep tabs on everything you do um, and send it to the government. And while that's necessarily true, um, if uh, a protocol gets hacked, you can follow a hacker, hacker's money uh, back onto that centralized exchange, and then they, they could put a freeze on those funds and maybe even return it back to the losers, to the users that lost their money. So it becomes like this two-way street. It's not this big boogeyman I think everyone proclaims it to be. Mm. But yeah, that's yeah, yeah, I'm curious about that. I really want to be able to ask more questions on that topic because like, is there any personal reason? Maybe we can talk. Uh... 
Yeah, no, I, I was having a conversation with a really intelligent lady the other day, and I wish I could. Um, she's an, an educator in the college realm and really interested in this type of topic and brought up some really good questions that I'm, I wish I were more nuanced on. But yeah, it's like, I understand that one for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general were giving access to those that are unbanked, the mil- the billions of people in say, you know, mm, what was it Venezuela and places that are in Syria that are refugees that are losing their identities there's a lot of value adds there regarding giving them the ability to keep track of their money and access to their money and funds if and when their own centralized banking systems and or corrupt governments kind of devalue or inflate their value to nothing for their currencies and they lose everything so I understand that value add that's really fantastic but then yeah, this lady, she was really asking some really good questions that were putting me in a place was like, oh man, I, I don't have a good answer for it, right? I don't have a good answer for, um, should all, you know, just take it in the context of the United States, right? Should all Americans be able to have their own Cayman Island bank where they can then just avoid taxes? Ta- are taxes really bad in all, all ways? Like if everyone does it, then how does our society kind of keep running? Also, if there are bad actors, both abroad and locally, what happens when people are drug trafficking or, you know, child trafficking, you know, those types of exchanges of goods become so much easier. They're totally anonymous and they're in the digital layer and then they can get washed in. Yeah, most people. And that was my argument. Everybody who's rich already is able to hide their money and is already able to go to the Cayman Islands and Swiss banks. But also this is giving access to even more people to do even more heinous crimes. And, and I get worried a bit. I don't know exactly how to ask the correct questions. I'm still trying to parse through it, but yeah. I don't know about full anonymity, to be honest. Yeah. And I, I agree. And I, I, I totally agree. I don't think full anonymity is what people think it's all out to be. Um, I, I'm more of a moderate in that stance. Um, if for And you just brought up some very good points, right? Like, these are very dangerous things that still go on and cryptocurrency could potentially make that easier. Um, so it's very, I think it's still very important that there's this onboarding fiat ramp where um, it, you have this traditional finance aspect still coming to play um, because you can keep track of everyone's money. Um, Within that country, it sounds like. It sounds yeah. like the more decentralized it comes outside of the borders, the less tracking you have. But if, yeah, like centralized governments, like our centralized governments, good. Our centralized governments, the boogeyman, or our centralized governments that give European countries and, you know, North American countries their autonomy and South American their stuff. Like, our, our, I don't know if central governments and centralized systems are totally corrupt because they got us to where we are and they're actually like what we are living on daily and the infrastructure for the roads and education systems and everything. But like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, to understand how and what's going to happen if we just like Bitcoin, right? It's fully obfuscated in a sense, like no one knows what's going on on it. And we're going to keep on going decentralized and stuff like that. And we're just buying into the system now. Like we're, we're propagating it and propping it up with a, you know, our liquidity that's staked and then people are building on it. And we're the ones that are possibly one helping those billion that are unbanked have access and utility to, you know, get around corrupt governments, but we're also propagating 
really possibly negative things in the world that allow shady people to do even more shady things a lot more easily and frequently. And I, I'm a bit worried. Yeah. Um, that's also um, true. Um, I'd also like to point out that um, everything that happens on the Ethereum blockchain is also public. So it could also make it easier for these people that think they're getting away with certain things to get caught. So um, everything that happens on um, almost every blockchain that's out right now is, is literally recorded. Um, there's ways to kind of up, up, obfuscate that um, and, and um, kind of like what they do is they just combine all the transactions together, put it in a sort of washing machine and then send it out. But what if one day we decode that someone uses it, they are doing these bad things. Um, that, would, that would just break the whole Ethereum network, though, if they did break the trend, the Shaft 256 algorithm, right? On no, the no, that's, yeah. keys. that's not that's not what Eugene's talking yeah. about. He's he's saying they're uh, I forgot the I forgot what it is, but there's a there's a way where you like you send your Bitcoin to a certain address, mm-hmm. and then it'll. Oh, I know the washing machine. I know that. Yeah. That's the coin. That's the way to wash machines. And you go to Monero too, if you do bridging and you change yeah. your tokens over. So you can totally lose track easily. But I mean, every single transaction is visible on the ledger on Bitcoin and Ethereum, but they're all unique transactions, uh, IDs from your own personalized wallet, which is just a unique anonymous number. And right now, currently in the ecosystem, we don't have any onboarding ramps for KYC and KYB, know your customer, know your business. And I'm curious about that with regards to the only way to get into it is right mainly through fiat on ramps via centralized exchanges such as Coinbase and um, you know all the other ones. Yeah. But you know, like once the money is in that ecosystem, and if we keep on building into that ecosystem, and even Visa and Mastercard are allowing now building those rails for stablecoin usage to spend on your credit cards via the Visa network, right? Like. With all of that, it just seems like the, I haven't found a good answer yet to that question of um, we're really, we're really laying like and solidifying an anonymous payment trail and payment rails for people to do very shady things. Um, I mean, not, not really. Like, I mean, <laughs> it, so like if you, if you know that, if you know the person who's associated with that wallet, then it becomes the exact opposite, right? You can create an infinite number of MetaMask wallets in an instant, and then you can go and whitewash them and or not whitewash, that's terrible, but uh, circle wash them and some things, bridge them over and then come back to a random, it's it's really, I mean, yep. it sounds like we're teaching literally anybody right now listening is learning how to wash them. <laughs> yeah, you know, this yeah, is the problem. Yeah, it's so easy. Of drug cartels. Yeah. Yeah. Literally, <laughs> what is Moon Tea Podcast doing? Propagating the dark <laughs> yeah. market. That's yeah. what we're doing right now. Um. Yeah, but I think like the, the point that Eugene made was a pretty good one, which is the off-ramp to fiat is going to be pretty hard. Any any reputable exchange, if there, if there is some sort of, of a kind of like gray area activity, like they're going to have full visibility into that. They're going to know which wallet is, is sending assets to there. It's also like tied to your, to your name. Um, so like, can someone, 
go to Craigslist and and just like meet strangers and then buy and sell Bitcoin that way. Like, yeah, and people do that. But but yeah, I mean that's that's part of the that's part of the cost of having a system where not only anyone but anything can can uh, be part of the monetary network. And that's just that's just like part of the the uh, like consequences. So it's like yeah, it's it's cool that that if if there's a woman who lives in a country where women are not allowed to have bank accounts, like she could have a secret bank account. Yeah. And but then on the other hand, North Korea can dodge a bunch of sanctions that are against it because yeah. it because but yeah, it's like. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a very like libertarian ideal, which is why they tend to be attracted to the idea of it. Which is like you can do whatever you want, and and you're not like you can be a you can be a porn star and you can you can collect money from anyone. Whereas with traditional payment systems, that's that's like pretty hard to do, and so they they often have to go through like more more shady uh like payment systems and and there's there's like increased fraud and like higher fees like same thing happened with like online poker and like online gambling sites which is like partially why they were among the first to adopt bitcoin yeah great point um so yeah so so yeah it's like there is illegal app activity that can happen but but like the point of it is that someone decided what what is legal and what is illegal. But then the the point of uh, decentralized finance is like anyone and anything can just like like can send monetary value regardless of if there are laws or not. So, is society without rules good? It's not that it's not that there aren't rules. It's it's that it's that anyone can send like a monetary value to anyone or anything else. And I guess I guess the I guess the uh, caveat is that you can track it. Like you can you can see that that transaction went through. And so yeah. I just I want to build on like what John said. Like he makes a good point. Like. If you want to sell Bitcoin um, and go, you have to go like on Craigslist or something, like how much of that can you really sell on Craigslist, right? And how much do you trust that person to sell, right? That person could just steal all your money um, if you try to sell it off Craigslist. So you run that risk that way. And so your only option is really just to go through a centralized exchange and you're you need liquidity, so you need an, to go to an exchange that has money. If you're dealing with exchanges that deal with millions of dollars, they're all going to have to answer to some type of government force. Um, that's probably going to be pretty big, right? Binance is starting to get into trouble, a little bit of trouble, it seems like, because they might have tried to skirt some laws back in the past. That's kind of catching up with them. And they're the number one exchange. Um, so when you try to, the, the biggest problem is when these drug dealers or people that are try, uh, tax evaders 
try to take their money out, there's no real good solution for them. That's right now in like a, a moment of fiat as cash and such, but yeah. we're going to one day possibly have a US dollar stable coin and then other types of governmental stable coins. Mm -hmm. And then once that whole, let's just say it is a mature ecosystem, not even the current ecosystem, which is still in you know early phases, but once it's fully there and you have centralized tokens that are stable coins, but then you have a lot of the other tokens and, and blockchains that are decentralized and allow for a lot of this anonymity. Once it's a fully digital world, which of course, most all assets will turn into that for the exchange of fiat mm -hmm. um, and money. So uh, like once you're on the ecosystem and we've already come to the agreement that once you're on the ecosystem of blockchain itself, it's really easy to make that paper trail get lost. And if we start to live in that world where it's a fully decentralized world with no real strength or power to a centralized currency, but mainly it's a decentralized currency that is truly the power hold, where does the power come from for regulation to come in? It seems like that gets washed away. And then it seems like we regress to, not even regress, I don't know, progress or regress, depends, uh, to a place that is very without rules, without laws, without understanding who's in the system. Sure, the system's not perfect and it's not fully there, but... Um, and it's always needing to be improved, but I, I do worry a bit. Like if it does become fully decentralized, as everyone's saying, and everyone says, this is the great thing. I was talking to someone yesterday and she's like lauding, getting in the NFT space and all these different tokens and decentralization is the way. And I'm like, are we ever, are, are any of us really asking the, the, the harder questions of, is this actually truly a good thing? Like uh, who's, what's the solution right now? If um, I, I still don't, I just still don't see it. The government's going to have a huge incentive to, to enforce laws and enforce, uh, like, and find people who are trying to evade taxes. And so with, like, considering that all these transactions are, are basically, like, public knowledge, I suspect that they'll get really smart about, about all those transactions. And, like, they'll, they'll find a way to, to at least find the heavy hitters so I, I, don't, I don't think the government's gonna like just be like oh man new technology like, forget it so i mean it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that landscape evolves and the kinds of like high level questions that we'll have to be like discussing but yeah yeah what's the name of the guy the mit blockchain professor who's now like one of the chairs in the government of the u.s Who's leading the charge on knowing this for the government? Knowing um, what for the government? Like the blockchain guy who talks, like he led like an MIT course, uh, MIT um, professor, government. Um, no, leader, no, USA. Yeah, he's like, um, I'll have to find it then. But yeah, he's like the main guy in the government that they brought in to figure these questions out. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. I, I still kind of worry at times. Do people worry about the dark web? Well, yeah, the dark web's really hard and, and that's the whole nother thing. But I mean, every, every type of like modern day new platform for exchanging of values has been led the charge by, you know, drug cartels and stuff and, you know, people who are shady. And that's literally what the early adoption curve for block Bitcoin was. But then the utility curve goes to helping any other people. And like, that's the adoption curve being good. But right. yeah, just like in general, um, I'll have to keep thinking about it. Maybe we come back again in like another six months and then <laughs> yeah. uh, talk about yeah, it as so. I learn more, you know, yeah. still figuring it out. 
Eugene, do you have any? I know, I know we mm -hmm. uh, we like we could talk about this for the next five hours. And Eugene, yeah. Eugene has. Um, I would listen. Oh my goodness, Eugene, <laughs> Eugene has a list of shit coins that that he wants to talk about. Um, but yeah, do you have any uh, kind of like final parting thought? We have like yeah yeah, that, yeah um so you were talking about government stable coins um i think that is the future um i'm not as worried as you are because i about the enmity of that um because uh i think that government will do a, a 1000 percent job of tracking even better than how wires are probably being tracked mm -hmm. um, this is just all speculation of course but i think i think the exact opposite of what government stable coins is, is gonna do is, is what you're saying. It's gonna make it even harder for people to stay anonymous than it is already. Um, but I do believe that government stable coins are the future. And so I've invested in a, a project called Quant that when I first invested in it did not, that was not part of the foreseeable future, but they're now heavily invested in bringing, the, uh, bringing these government stable coins. Um, because there's a lot of factors in saving money for a government to have algorithm, uh, algorithmic stable coins, um, because you could put now uh, if then statements to a stable coin, like you can say, pay this bill if these requirements are met. And that will just save a government a ton of money. Quant is already working with XRP, Ripple, which is already huge, um, AVAX, uh, with the Bank of England. Um, there were they've also worked with the with MIT to create a paper for the Boston Bank of the Federal Reserve. Um, they've also worked with the Latin American communities to bring this uh, the stable coin um, possibility. So I'm heavily into I've heavily invested into quant. John will tell you that I've I've been in and still is heavily invested into quant. Um, if you decide to take this shitcoin journey as I've, I have, um, just be forewarned that the, you can make a lot of money, but you will lose a lot of money. And you will typically lose a lot more money if you're not constantly in paying attention and keeping track of what's going on. So it's like almost like a full-time job um, on top of whatever you're doing. It has to be like a, a full-time hobby. Um, if anyone's if anyone who listens to this works with eugene he's he's working very hard at his job yeah <laughs> yeah yeah no i work i work very hard it's outside of work that i'm i'm looking into these these uh these shit coins so yeah just just make sure that you're dedicated to it um, because it, it does take up a lot of time and it's only going to go bigger and bigger so um yeah uh that's that's it that's uh that's pretty much my my main takeaway for <laughs> shit coins also we should have said this in the beginning but yeah. this is not financial advice yeah, this is this is not financial <laughs> advice everything i said here is for entertainment and educational purposes only <laughs> don't come us come after us fcc yeah um <laughs> That's funny. I love that. Um, um, yeah. Wow. Eugene, it's incredible. Is this, is this the, oh, by the way, it's Gary Gensler. Gary Gensler. Yes. Yeah. I think he worked for Binance too. And then he like Did left. He? 
he okay. left because Binance was just so bad. <laughs> and like three months in. Is that yeah. It? Yeah. Was Gary Gensler. Let me see. Binance. Like he was like the CEO of Binance. Binance. I don't actually know. I just, I'm just command effing uh, Wikipedia right now. Sadly, sadly, don't see that. But mm. hey, I, I do see. I'm thinking of he's a great guy though i'm sure we'll put it in the show notes his wikipedia and you can read it yourself read it fast <laughs> enough anyways um is this the end of the episode i'm actually sad i don't want it to end no <laughs> is this it john is uh, it how hungry are you jean oh. i'm a little hungry i'm young i can mean all I can right yeah. it's over <laughs> all right everybody. <laughs> this is gonna be a wrap for another episode of the moon tea podcast where we were joined by our amazing guest eugene who is genuinely such a knowledgeable and kind man to spend his time teaching us all about altcoins and quote-unquote shit coins anywho <laughs> this is once again moon tea podcast talking about craft community building meaningful careers hopefully we'll have another episode out very soon see you next time peace peace